Hi, and welcome to Communicating Climate Change, a podcast dedicated to helping you do exactly that. I'm Dickon, and I'll be your host as we dig deep into the best practices and the worst offences, always looking for ways to help you and me improve our abilities to engage, empower, and ultimately activate audiences on climate-related issues. This episode features a conversation with game designer Matt Leacock. It was recorded in January 2024. Matt is best known as a designer of cooperative games, including Pandemic, Pandemic Legacy, Forbidden Island, and Daybreak. Pandemic, first published in 2008, has sold over 5 million copies worldwide and is available in over 30 languages. Matt's latest game, though, Daybreak, challenges players to stop climate change. Amongst other things, Matt and I discussed the role of play in learning, the ways that games can help people understand and model complexity, and how increased interactivity could help deepen audience engagement on climate issues. So, let's get on with it. This is Communicating Climate Change with Matt Leacock. From your perspective, how can communication best contribute in humanity's response to the climate crisis? I think communication is needed to drive two things. Uh, first, understanding, and then even more importantly, action. I think we need to communicate the scale and urgency of the problem, along with its root causes, frankly. I see that as inertia, for one, and then also other powerful actors like uh, the fossil fuel industry um, that are actively fighting change. I think we really need to have a shared understanding of that so that we can take action and make a difference. Let's talk about games. What inspired you to develop a board game addressing climate change? Yeah, I was first inspired to do it because uh, there's a climate scientist, Declan Finney in Scotland, who reached out to me back in, oh God, I don't know, maybe 2019 even really strongly suggested that I come up with a version of pandemic focused on the climate crisis. And I, I looked at, he had this big wall of text, this big idea of how I could change pandemic to work. And uh, I had been kind of troubled by what I'd been reading about what was going on and thought, well, it, this deserves at least me doing some research. So I started to dig into it and realized, oh my God, this is a big problem. And it's not going to work to just change pandemic and turn it into uh, its own game. This is, this is a complex system that needs to be modeled. And I think a game would be a great way to, to model it for people, uh, including myself, a way for me to wrap my head around it and learn while making the game. And then in so doing, potentially other people could play it and learn as well. So that was the initial spark, just trying to crack the nut. So the next obvious question is, could you then provide an overview of the game, Daybreak, and perhaps highlight how it engages players in modeling reality, experimenting, failure, and decisions related to climate change. Sure. So Daybreak has players take on the role of world powers that are all cooperating. Uh, first of all, that's our first big conceit that the uh, players would cooperate. Uh, but they're cooperating in order to take on the climate crisis. Basically, the job is to not to, to find a point on it, stop climate change. And they do that by decarbonizing the world's economies. And while they're doing that, they need to protect the world's communities going into crisis. What that looks like is each turn, players draw cards, uh, which represent the opportunities they have each turn. And those represent um, technologies and policies they can roll out. And those can help, uh, say, 
build up new green energy plants. They can remove dirty energy plants. They can reduce other emission sources or increase the world's ability to sequester carbon. But then they also have other jobs. They can help with adaptation and build social and ecological and infrastructure resilience. So it's your job as a player is basically trying to figure out what you're going to do with the opportunities in your hand. And because every turn, those opportunities are different, you can't just go into it with a plan. I know how to solve climate change. You have to look to see, okay, what are the opportunities you have each turn? How can I work with the other players to best take advantage of them and win the game given the cards I'm dealt? I should let listeners know that there is a very nice gameplay video that I will link in the show notes. Considering that most people in their lives encounter information about climate change through social media or the news, how can games offer a unique perspective to help people consider the challenges that we're facing in different ways? I think games are unique in that they can help present like dynamic models that you can really get your hands dirty with and, and interact with. You can play with games, right? You can tinker with them. You can experiment rather than just kind of like passively reading something and accepting what you're told. You've got some agency. You, you, you can drop into it and you can say, I wonder what happens if I do this, or I wonder what happens if I do that. And you basically tacitly begin to understand things. You don't have to be preached to. You can learn on your own that, wow, if I do that one thing, something really bad happens. Or if I forget to do this, then this other thing happens. They also present a model and then they challenge the players to like internalize those models. So what we found with Daybreak players is after you've played the game and you read, say, an article on social media or something like that, you can then take what you've just read and plug it into that model that you've learned. And you might have some idea of the scale or scope, or at least how that fits into the larger system in a way that you might not if you were just reading some sort of dry article, because you've played with it and experimented with it. I think a lot of it has to do with emotion. And uh, what we, you know, I say we, because my co-designer, Matteo Minapache um, and I designed this together. Uh, we really wanted to look at the emotional journey of the players and know that if your emotions are turned on, you're going to be much more engaged, first of all, but also you're going to be writing memories in a, in a much more um, fundamental way. How important do you believe play is in the process of learning? And how can games contribute to our understanding of complex issues and challenges and the implementation of solutions to them? Play is fundamental to learning, I think. I mean, you think about when you're a kid, uh, you learn everything through play. You're just a little scientist experimenting with the world. Games add a few things to that. I mean, most games are, are meant to be fun, so they add this intrinsic motivation. You want to kind of see what's going on, and so you're drawn into them. And they also need to be accessible. Like the games I make, I try to sell to people, and people actually want to play them. <laughs> so we need to make them easy enough to play and understand. So you've got this boxed up um, experiment that you want to play, and it's accessible. It's this beautiful little learning kit. And when you crack it open, if it's carefully put together, by playing it, you begin to understand the simple model of the world that it's put together. So in our case, uh, Daybreak is meant to present this simplified version of the climate crisis and allows you to have agency and, and experiment with it. So you can see some of the trade-offs that we try to present to the players that are meant to model real-world trade-offs. Those might include things like, hey, do I take early action right now and try to work on the problem immediately in a small way? Or do I try to build up a big engine that won't really come to fruition and see you know, its full power until round three? It's going to be really powerful, but in the meantime, we haven't done anything. you know. So you can see that kind of trade-off. Or you can experiment with 
how much of my time do I want to spend with mitigation and decarbonizing versus adaptation and, and building the resilience of my people? How do I strike that balance? Among many other types of dilemmas that we give you. It's a little dilemma machine that you can experiment with. And while you're doing it, you're, you're learning all sorts of things, including the terminology of climate change, just sort of like tacitly. And you can win. It's winnable. Yeah, it's important to stress. Uh, we are trying to show a positive future, a possible plausible future. There's so much doom and gloom out in the media. Uh, and we don't see a lot of the other side where it's like, hey, not only can we solve it, but hey, when we're on the other side of it, things may be brighter. And um, it's important for people to build those mental models so that they've got something they can be excited about, not um, you know, dispirited all the time. How does Daybreak encourage players to work together and make choices that reflect the complexity of addressing climate change? Starting with the first part, like how does it encourage players to work together? Um, so we don't force you to work together at all. You, you, you have to decide you want to work together. Um, but one of the ways we incentivize that to some extent is just naturally all the players aren't the same. So you've got the United States, Europe. You've got the majority world, which is like the global south, the majority of the people on the planet as sort of a, a coalition or faction, and China. And each player has got different strengths. So uh, the United States has more capacity to do uh, R&D at the very beginning of the game. So it can fish for cards that might be the most suitable. It can also pass cards to other players if they want to. Europe's better at building resilience and can pull other uh, players' communities out of crisis from the very beginning of the game. Majority of the world's got all sorts of challenges with a larger population and a lot of energy demand that, that's going to be coming up. But it's probably the most flexible of all the players. And then China can do a lot of research and can export green technology. So you've got these different abilities to share in different ways. And it's up to you to decide, hey, should I do it or not? And it just turns out the game is easier to win if you are working toward this common objective and looking out for each other. You do spend about 70% of your time kind of like trying to figure out how to deal with your own problems. But then there's this really important thing. 30% where you have to look up and say, hey, you know, what are we all doing here? And the game also has this underlying message that if any one of the players has 12 or more communities in crisis, then everybody loses. Uh, basically, the underlying meaning that it doesn't matter who is losing their communities. This collectively matters to all of us. Because of that, that loss rule, you do need to kind of poke your head out and see how the rest of the world is faring and, and offer to help if you want to win the game. Every next time you play the game, you can play it through a different perspective on the problem because you can take the role of a different starting coalition or nation. That's right. Yeah, you can play a different role and see it through through that point of view. And then uh, you'll get a different set of opportunities each time. So the, the game mixes it up every time you play. What do board games offer that video games may lack, particularly when it comes to face-to-face -face interaction? And why might that direct engagement be valuable? Yeah, well, I think you, you talked about it right there. The primary thing is you're face-to-face. You're -face. So you can make eye contact, like direct eye contact. You and I are communicating over a Zoom-like interface and can't even look into each other's eyes, which seems like such a fundamental thing to human communication. Or reach out and touch someone or hand someone something. I think that direct communication across a table is fundamental. It's like getting around the fire, right, uh, and building community. And you can't quite get that with digital communication. 
And we're also behind our screens so much of the day that I think people are just hungry for that type of contact. And tabletop board games specifically, I think, offer that in a way that um, video games don't. You also get to reach out and touch the pieces. It's just much more direct thing. Um, you can manipulate the things physically. It's a deeper experience than it is when everything's simulated for you. Given your background in creating user interfaces, in your past, I suppose, a screen or a website, and today, a board game, perhaps, what are your thoughts on the current state of data visualizations and interfaces for communicating climate science and climate data to society? And where do you see some room for improvement? Uh, I haven't thought about this very deeply, but I, I would think that one thing that could be improved is just to make some of the visualizations a little bit more interactive so that you could play with them. I saw that the Washington Post actually recently had a toy-like visualization. I think the idea was, hey, trace where you think warming is this past year. And then the idea would be they would actually show you where the warming is. And then rather than just show you and you kind of dismiss it as whatever, you'd be like, oh my God, it's so much higher than I would have anticipated because you drew it and you can't argue with what your expectations were. So more of that sort of thing, I think, would be a great way to communicate the stuff, testing expectations, and then letting you experiment a little bit and have a little bit more call and response might help people internalize the data better or understand it better. Considering your personal involvement in developing Daybreak, what did you learn? Uh, what surprised you? And did your perception of the challenges associated with climate change change during this process? Yeah, it changed tremendously. I mean, when I began, I didn't know a tremendous amount about the topic at all and just what I'd been exposed to up to that point in news media. And it was quite a journey. I mean, when I started out, I wasn't sure I could make a game about the climate crisis and make it fun. I mean, that's not something you typically sign up to do. And in doing my readings, the first chapter in a lot of these climate books is pretty rough because they're all about the scope and the scale of it and how important it is and how we're doing. And that was a it was pretty rough. I wasn't sure how to even make a model of success. And that was my starting point. I figured that was a lot of other people's starting point. It's like, well, there's this huge problem that looks intractable and I feel helpless. So that was pretty much my state <laughs> going into it as well. In reading more, I, I found some books that looked at the problem more holistically. Uh, one of them was written by a, a representative out here in the States who's actually a gamer. I found that out later. But I could kind of tell by the way he had written this book. It was called 100% Solution. And it said, hey, if we want to solve the problem, here's how we could dice it up and actually do it. And it was the first time I saw it as like presented as here's a framework, as it were. And Matteo Menepanche and I both read this together. And that was sort of like the kernel of the very beginning of how we could form the game. And we started digging deeper. And we had our first game kind of modeled after that. And that was really all about decarbonization. It was, it was like the enemy of the game was the carbon atom. That was our antagonist. Like, how do we get carbon out of the atmosphere? In so doing, it was kind of a technocratic approach. It was just like, hey, let's throw lots of technology at this, and we'll get the carbon out, and everything will be fine. But then we started doing more interviews. We talked with the Red Cross, Red Crescent Climate Center. We talked a lot with Project Drawdown, uh, talked with Bill McKibben. We talked with all sorts of people and really got a much more nuanced view. Talked with people who helped shape policy in the EU, learned about resilience and adaptation and social justice issues when it comes to like 
rolling out different solutions. And it ended up being this really rich understanding, and it really enriched the game. It gave us all these other levers we gave players, and we built in this whole notion of, hey, you know, it's not about hitting two degrees and losing. It's about real communities that are going to go into crisis. So I went on this whole journey, and it was just fun to put all that into the game with Mateo and really want players who play the game to, to come away with this possible vision. You know, if all this stuff is rolled out, we've got this brighter future that has all these different considerations in, in place. What's the single most important aspect of communication that we should all be paying attention to in our communication endeavors? Well, that's a tough one. Uh, the single most important aspect. Um, I can point to something that I think is missing that would make a big difference. I'm not sure it's the single most important aspect, but I, I would really like to see more care and attention spent on painting possible futures and communicating what could be if. And then uh, the flip side of that is, okay, well, we could have that, but this is specifically what is preventing us from attaining that future, right? Whether it's uh, inertia or these very specific actors who are in the way, so that people can actually have some sort of tangible thing that they can hang on to as, as here's where we need to act in order to make a difference. Fundamentally, I think that's what's important. And so I'd like to see just more care spent on that kind of formula, like here's where we want to be and here's what's in the way, because then people can draw their own conclusions about what needs to be done rather than just reading some sort of fact or, or painting some sort of dire problem, which is, is a lot of the um, communication I see right now. Conversely, what's the biggest mistake that you see communicators make when attempting to engage the public on climate change issues? I think it's maybe misunderstanding the motivations of the audience or trying to change minds that can't be changed. Repeatedly saying that climate change is real to an audience that doesn't care. We've all moved on from that. We're communicating that uh, the stakes are really high and things are really dire and expecting that that's going to motivate people to take action as opposed to just making them cynical or lose faith or tune out because they don't know what to do. Not being mindful of the audience and where they're at like emotionally and what they're ready to receive. It was a blast talking to Matt for this episode. Such an interesting perspective on this whole issue. But what in particular stuck with you from our conversation? What will you take from it and apply to your own work? For me, it was the focus on face-to-face -face interaction. Like all of you, I spend so much of my time talking about climate change, about climate communications, potential solutions, inevitable trade-offs, and all the rest of it. But all too often, it's online. I think it's time I found some physical fora for this kind of thing, to get some more eye contact into my climate conversations. Who knows? Maybe it'll even be gathered around a game of daybreak. I'm also keen to dig much deeper into the psychology of games. What's happening there? What else can we learn from this field? Time to get into the literature, so watch this space. I'm sure there'll be an episode on that down the line. So that's what I'll be taking with me. But how about you? What did you hear? What will you be incorporating into your communications endeavors? Thanks to Matt Leacock for sharing his time and insight with the show. It was great. You can find links to some relevant resources in the show notes. Thanks also to you for listening to Communicating Climate Change. If you enjoyed this episode, why not leave it a rating or a review? You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts or by subscribing so you never miss out. You can find Communicating Climate Change on LinkedIn too. And if you think the series would be of interest to friends or colleagues, why not point them in the right direction? Remember, each and every episode attempts to add to our toolkits to help us develop 
the resilience and the abilities that we'll need for this vital task. So be sure to stay tuned for more. For anything else, just head over to communicatingclimatechange.com. Until next time, take care.